Welcome back to Chapters of the Future, the podcast where we read a chapter from a book that has not and will never be written. This is page 438 of a book that no one has heard of yet, The Wise Man's Fear. You, you were so bad for a time. Then you asked for the birds and had that terrible night. Then the next day, one of them died. Looking down at the tiny bird in his hand, his words came faster and faster, almost tumbling over each other, too clumsy to be anything but sincere. I didn't want to fill your head with talk of dying things, so I snuck it out and brought a new one in. Then you kept getting better, and they started falling four or five a day. Every time I looked, there would be another one lying in the bottom of the cage like a little cut flower. But you were doing so well. I didn't want to mention it. Stapes covered up the dead Sipquick with a cupped hand. It's like they were giving up their little souls to make you well again. Something inside the man suddenly gave way and he began to cry. The deep, hopeless sobs of an honest man who has been frightened and helpless for a long time, watching the slow death of a well-loved friend. Alvaron stood motionless for a stunned moment, all the anger spilling out of him. Then he moved to put his arms gently around his manservant. Oh, Stapes, he said softly. They were, in a way. You haven't done anything you can be blamed for. I quietly left the room and busied myself removing the feeders from the gilded cage. An hour later, the three of us were eating a quiet supper together in the mayor's rooms. Alvarin and I told Stapes what had been happening over the last several days. Stapes was almost giddy, both at his master's health and at the knowledge that would continue to improve. As for myself... After suffering for a few days under Alvaron's displeasure, being so suddenly in his good graces again was a relief. Nevertheless, I was shaken by how close to disaster I had been. I was honest with the mayor about my misguided suspicion of Stapes, and I offered the manservant my sincere apology. Stapes, in turn, admitted his doubts about me. In the end, we shook hands and thought much better of each other. As we were chatting over the last bites of supper, Stapes perked up, excused himself... As we were chatting over the last bites of supper, Stapes perked up, excused himself, and hurried out. My outer door, the mayor explained. He has ears like a dog. It's uncanny. Stapes opened the door to admit the tall man with the shaven head who had been looking over maps with Alvaron when I'd first arrived, Commander Dagon. As Dagon stepped into the room, his eyes flickered to each of the corners, to the window, to the outer door, briefly over me, then back to the mayor. When the page ended, my name is Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. This all wraps up so, so nicely. It's like a little package with a bow. Sort of. Yeah, well, I do appreciate that Rothfuss knows better than to, ha- than to have a scene of everyone explaining everything to everybody else. That is exactly, the, like, once it's clear that that conversation is going to happen, you don't need to explain to the readers again what they already know but that the characters don't know you can have that happen off screen or in a montage. And like, that is the correct choice to make here. The, uh, the sip quicks are like cut flowers. Mm. Indeed. What a uh, interesting metaphor that we may have seen one or two times before. Mm. Yes. Which does. I'm not sure that it necessarily connects to the, the patient cut flower sound of a man who's waiting to die. Um, but it what? makes sense in this case because, like, the man who was waiting to die is Alvaron, sort of, right? Yeah, but then that ah. makes me think, what if, in the frame narrative, Coat is literally waiting to die because he has been poisoned? 
Ooh. either by like a literal poison or by a, a a spiritual or metaphysical poison, if you will. But what if he is like literally like I have three days and then I will die. And I am just waiting for that to happen. Could be. Maybe the act of telling the story is what will kill him. Or what will save him. Ah, indeed. What if they are one and the same? What if he must kill Coat and and be reborn as Quoth in truth? In word as well as in deed. Yeah, this is great catharsis. And I agree that we don't need to have the conversation again, but we... Like it, as far as I'm concerned, that whole conversation is is played in perfect clarity. I know exactly how it goes. I know exactly how it all how everyone feels. Although I do think it's interesting that after Quoth says to Denna, I'd just as likely stab him as shake hands with him. The next person he shakes hands with is is Stapes. Again, I think Stapes is what he says he is. I have no re- well, I have lots of reasons to doubt him, but I do think that unless he's like as good or better a performer than Quoth ever was. Um, I don't think Stapes is anything but a uh, gentle manservant, but he does shake hands with Stapes next after that exchange with Denna. Mm-hmm. It's also worth noting how how quickly the mayor's mood changes, and I think that that's worth keeping an eye on uh, in the future as well. Like he is, you know, and perhaps this is part and parcel of the fact that he is like incomprehensibly politically powerful but he he gets over how mad he was at he was at Quoth very quickly I think that's just because his temper on the whole is affected really strongly by Stapes I don't think this actually has very much to do with Quoth it's he was angry at Quoth for reasons but upon like hearing from his manservant about this related but other thing and like absorbing essentially what our heart felt like deep emotional feelings from that it makes him feel that emotion more than his anger towards quotes so that makes sense to me like when i'm angry about something but then like my husband comes over and tells me that he loves me for whatever reason chances are my anger is going to go away pretty quickly Yes, it's true. The affection of your loved one really uh, goes a long way to solving your mood. But uh, whether or not they are in illiteral loved ones or just, you know, just good friends, Jeremy, um, I think for all of them, the mystery is solved. There's a lot of catharsis for all of them because all three of them have been at cross purposes, suspecting one another. Well, you know, some more than others. I don't think the mayor ever suspected Stapes, but they've all been kind of moving pieces without informing the others. And now everything's out in the open. So it feels jolly good for for everybody yes and like in the process of doing that the mayor is going to realize that part like the reasons he's been mad at quoth is because of quotes like wild suspicions and and his you know unfounded accusations but as far as the mayor is concerned oh those suspicions were entirely well founded and those accusations were entirely correct Everything this guy has been telling me has been right all along. So I don't need to be mad at him anymore. I was wrong to be mad at him before because he's right. Yes. And as we'll learn on the next page, I think that anger gets um, channeled, shall we say, towards Codicus, who is now a a handy patsy. Whether or not he's actually the end of the... Um, of the the chain of poisoning, whether or not he's ultimately the one responsible or if he's just the one, you know, the the blade 
that uh, is held by the hand that wields it. He is the one who receives the uh, the mayor's ire, and the mayor uh, sends Dagon to wreak a rather bloody vengeance. Yes, indeed. So that all feels like things that we haven't really touched on yet. So I don't yeah, the see. the only other note I have for this page is there's a really effective piece of characterization of Dagon, which happens like in the last two lines of this page. The first thing he does when he comes into a room is he checks the room. Like he, he checks the corners. He checks the, like all the entrances, basically anywhere that an attacker could be hiding. So his first instinct, whenever he walks into any room, even this room in the heart of the mayor's citadel, which is presumably like the best guarded place in the entire city, this guy is such a like a creature of soldier's habit, the, a guy who has lived such a dangerous life that his first instinct when he walks into any room is to, you know, assess the threat sen- scenario in the room, which I think is a great way to give us a very quick sense of what kind of guy he is. And we'll learn more about what kind of guy he is very, very soon. I feel like we're going to see more of Dagon up close in book three. I think that uh, much like Codicus, there's a lot that happens off screen regarding Dagon. And, um, you know, he also ends up, we are told he ends up with a very distinctive scar at the end of this book. That's the kind of thing that uh, I think authors put on characters to make them memorable. Mm. Mm. Am I right in remembering that Quoth, the more Quoth gets to know Dagon, like the less frightening he finds him? No, you, that, you're thinking of another book because Dagon, I don't think Dagon appears in the book again. We are just told that he is maimed uh, trying to catch Codicus. But I'm not sure he ever shows up again in the, on the page in front of Quoth. This is also okay. very off the page and I would like to state my discontent in your moving two chapters of the future. You mean changing the podcast uh, to a new a new title, <laughs> or that uh, that we're going too far ahead? Both, both of those things. Mostly the <laughs> second, though. Okay, I apologize. <laughs> I am here to rerail this podcast. We are doing this page, this page, which is four hundred and thirty-eight, not whatever future chapter you're talking about. I, I waggle my finger at you, sir. <laughs> Well, we must do our best not to uh, invoke the anger of Jordana, lest she cast us into a gibbet to swing for the rest of our days. And we'll cast you into a gibbet to swing for the rest of your days on tomorrow's page of the Wind.